Welcome, everyone. Welcome, SpawnCast Patreon members. I'm surprised you even found this Patreon because, God forbid, John promotes anything that has to do with this. Anything that gives the peasants money, he doesn't He doesn't want to take part in. No, all jokes aside, I do want a uh, theme song for Game & Talk. Um, go on Fiverr, John, because you have to listen to this when you upload it. Go on Fiverr, get me a theme song for Game & Talk. I expect it by the next episode. I am RGT85, joined as always by Josie Woe. Josie, how are we doing? So good. Excited to be back for another episode, ready to talk all things Nintendo. How, how are those steroids treating you? So good. I've never looked better, honestly. And of course, Nate the Hate, Drake, Nathan Drake, Direct Feed Games. How are we doing, Nate? I'm doing well this fine summer evening. I am excited to be back for episode three of Game and Talk. Can you believe we are now three episodes into this affair? It feels like only yesterday we we started this whole charade, and now, I mean, really, it's come full circle. Um, yeah, so we got some uh, different topics to talk about. Um, at, after this recording, we will be filming the Q&A portion of this. Yes, there is a Q&A portion that is for exclusive Patreon members in a certain tier. I'm not sure what tier it is, but if you want to ask us questions pertaining to video games, outside of video games, whatever tickles your pickle, be sure to head over to the Patreon, see what tier that is, because you might not, I mean, you might already be in it. Who knows? Because John doesn't explain anything. So we're going to start things off with, have we been playing anything interesting? Um, Nate, have you been playing anything interesting lately? I've actually just started to play Tears of the Kingdom. I know I am late to the wow. party on the game, but I have been playing Final Fantasy 16, have completed the game, thoroughly enjoyed what 16 had to offer. I'm also playing a bit of Twisted Metal on PlayStation 5 because it just came to the PlayStation Classics lineup. And I was kind of interested in revisiting that PS1 classic. The controls haven't aged all that well, but I figure maybe I'll run for a quick platinum trophy in it. But other than that, I am excited to get into Tears of the Kingdom and see if it is truly a game of the year contender or the surefire winner for 2023. Don't feel bad about just getting started on it. I mean, there's all these Nintendo YouTubers and Twitter accounts that they haven't even beat the game yet. And it's like, what have you been doing? Like, what else are you playing? Do you even play video games or do you just act like you know about them when you're talking about them? Ooh. Josie, what have you been playing? I have been playing a lot of the Mario Kart 8 Wave 5 DLC, and that's been interesting. They put LA in it, so that was kind of cool because we got represented a little bit. But Do yeah, they have the homeless that, there much... and the feces on the street. <laughs> I. I, I don't know where you went. I really, I mean, oh, I've never gone. Crazy. I've never gone, but like my mother went to, uh, I think San Francisco and like, oh yeah, you can just take a dump on the street there. No, but SF is so fun. You just got to be in the right area. Yeah. But know, she wasn't. No, <laughs> she was in the hood. That is like, <laughs> like mother, like son. What, what can you do? Yeah. Uh, but they added a bunch of new characters. So that was pretty fun. Like, there's Wiggler now, there's uh, Petey Piranha and Kamek, so it doesn't really change up anything, but it, it's interesting that they're filling out the roster more, and yeah, I'm just ready for a new game, but I'll play it while I wait. Well, you won't be getting a new game soon, because that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Special Edition 
will be available on the Nintendo <laughs> Switch 2 with all of the DLC and all the characters and courses. As far as what I've been playing, um, I jumped into some of the old Call of Duties because the online servers went back up. Um, had a lovely chat with someone uh, last night after some rounds. He said something <laughs> a little bit sarcastic and uh, I had to reply to him. And I've been playing a lot of Ant Stream on Xbox as well, which is probably available by the time you're watching this. Basically, a bunch of retro games are available on your Xbox, uh, over 1,400. Their advertisements say only 1,300. Their email said only 1,300, but there are clearly over 1,400 games because when you go to search, it shows over 1,400. I don't know why they can't get their branding right, but hey, who am I to judge? But it's really fun, man. I, I'm surprised. At how much I've gotten into the online leaderboard system, I guess because, you know, it's just starting up on Xbox so you can break it up because it's been a service that's available on PC uh, for quite a while, uh, but it has an individual Xbox category. So there's a lot of fresh people in there. Um, and I've been really addicted to breaking some of the high scores um, at last check. I'm number one in Marble Madness. Don't play Marble Madness because I don't want to go down to number two. That game is very stressful, but it's fun. I, I like that game. But yeah, it's a pretty cool service. I've I it's something that you just spend time with and like you find weird random stuff and it's got it's got some heavy hitter stuff like uh Metal Slug X, Samurai Showdown, uh Mortal Kombat, arcade version, arcade version of Samurai Showdown, of course. So it's cool stuff, man. I definitely like it. I'm very curious to see the future of this platform. They add new games in every week, so it'll be cool to see where it goes. But Obviously, the big Nintendo story for this week, the one that actually has legs to it and is actually true, is Pikmin 4. It's coming out. It's already leaked online. No, the King of Emulation hasn't downloaded it or anything like that. <laughs> I might, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, But yeah, Pikmin 4 is coming out. Obviously, it got pretty much what you'd expect from the review scores. You know, I believe it's sitting at an 88 on a Metacritic right now. What's the hype level for this game? Uh, Josie, are you buying this day one or what are we doing here? I am. I'm very excited. I think it's really fun that it looks like it's evolving a lot of the franchise. Like it was always a thing of why can't we hang out at night? Why can't we explore this world at night? Um, and now they're bringing that full circle. Granted, some of the reviews did say that it wasn't like amazing and it was sort of a letdown but regardless i'm excited to see what that entails ochi looks super super fun uh basically a big powered up pikmin and they have sort of like an upgrade system in this game and then i'm excited to see how that's really implemented throughout the whole thing uh i'm 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 thrilled i loved pikmin 3 so i'm definitely picking this one up day one nate how are we feeling about pikmin obviously you just started tears of the kingdom so you're a little that's bit behind right. the eight ball but I mean, I've always enjoyed the Pikmin games. Pikmin 3 was one of my favorite games on the Wii U because it really utilized the gamepad well. And as you mentioned, I have just started Tears of the Kingdom. So I'm going to wait a little while until I pick up Pikmin 4. I did play the demo for 4. And I like how the gameplay seems to have evolved a bit. I like how there's a little more interactivity with the environment where you use the dog to knock over things and stuff though the demo section was quite limited in terms of options versus what the full game will entail but i like what i played there and it definitely has my interest it's just bad timing for me at the moment and you know with tears of the kingdom as well as a little bit of dabbling in exo primal here and there 
I have a full plate of gaming right now. So Pikmin 4, maybe later this year when things slow down and, you know, talking that December window, probably I'll search the game then and see if it lived up to the hype after that honeymoon period has expired with reviewers and the hardcore Nintendo fans. I was surprised to see some reviewers said it was like 25 plus hours. I've never played a Pikmin, but I definitely didn't think that they were like that long of a game so three was like 15 hours so it's just it's a little bit more and 25 is more like if you're going for all the collectibles because they they have like those things like the game boys and stuff just kind of scattered around that are really fun to collect and some people really go crazy on those and that'll get you around 25 i think the baseline for this game is like 20 hours though which is only just like five from from the last one Okay, so that's that's not too bad. I don't know. I mean, it looks it looks good. You know, that's it's honestly one of the more graphically impressive Nintendo games as far as first party titles are concerned. Because while it does use a, a cutesy sort of art style for the characters, um, it uses like more realistic backgrounds, and it kind of shows you that maybe Nintendo does know how to make games. I don't want to say games that look like they belong in the modern era, but more games that look more like a a third party game obviously nintendo games usually have their own unique art style but this kind of looks more like a realistic thing with characters that are from a more unique art style so i always find these very impressive to look at i don't know like from what i've played of pikmin's like the gameplay loop just it never really grabs me it it never really just is like hey you need to keep playing me and that could just come down to my personal preference of genres but I don't know. Um, if I see it for forty bucks or less, you know, well, forty one ninety nine, I should say, because Nintendo game can't go below forty dollars. You know, I, I might pick it up down the road, but I don't know. I like me personally, I'd rather play Double Dragon Gaiden. Like that's coming out, I believe, next week. I'm trying to get my hands on a review copy. I have a review copy for another Switch game that is coming out. Um, I believe it's next week. Might be a little bit longer. Um, towards the end of the month. And, you know, that'll keep me filled up with stuff to play. But I'm sure Pikmin fans, you know, will enjoy the game. Uh, what else do we got going on? So we have um, the Limited Run Game Showcase. We, of course, talked about it on the Spawncast last week. But I just wanted to get your guys' impressions as far as what stood out to you as a must-buy from this presentation. We'll start with Nate. Must buy, I think I would say the Castlevania Advanced Collection. It is already available digitally on the Switch and other platforms, but now it's getting a physical release. And that has my interest there because I love that trilogy of games. It's not quite up to the upper echelon of quality as the DS trilogy, but it's definitely a trilogy I would love to have a physical copy of. But beyond that, there really wasn't that much for me out of the LRG presentation. I know a lot of people are hyped for Tomba and Gex, But as I kind of joked on Twitter after the presentation had concluded, I want to see some gameplay. I want to see how the Carbon Engine is handling these 3D games. Because right now, we've only seen Carbon Engine do 2D games. So Mm -hmm. I want to see how it handles the 3D transition for these projects. And, you know, what type of visual fidelity we're getting. Are we going to get improved frame rates? How far is the Carbon Engine going to be taking these projects? And if it is you know, comparable or better than what we have seen from Nintendo's own NSO service or even Sony's PlayStation Classic service, 
it'll definitely have my interest. But right now, what LRG is offering just doesn't cater to my specific taste. There was some quality there, but you know, I think Castlevania Advance is really the primary thing that I'm really looking to purchase. Ideally, the game does come to like a retail shop like Best Buy because I really don't want to order the game later this summer and then wait until 2027 to get my copy mailed to me by LRG. Yeah, that that's fair. I am once once my um Turtles comes in, the collector's edition, like I I'm done buying physical stuff from them unless it's at like a Best Buy or something and even then I don't think I necessarily care. Uh Josie, what stood out in your mind? Well, most of these games I didn't really know about in this. I I obviously knew a little bit about Castlevania, but other than that, most of these looked pretty weird and old to me, except I've heard a lot about Gex, so I'll probably pick up Gex just because, I don't know, everybody's always joking about it. I want to see what it is, what it means. Uh, You guys on the Spawncast were saying it's like James Bond-esque, right? No, 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 no. Absolutely got that wrong. Gex (laughs) is probably the most, like, okay, I've been collecting a lot of old game pros. Like, the first Gex game, people liked it. You had Dana Gould doing one-liners in it which were never funny. They weren't really <laughs> funny then. They're especially not funny now, but they don't really repeat themselves all that much. But like the first Gex is like a side-scrolling uh, game where it's like your sprite is animated, but like the worlds are kind of polygonal somewhat, but it, it has an interesting art style that, that'll probably look pretty good. Um, I don't know anything about Gex 2. Gex 3 was like a game where they kind of took the piss out of other games and stuff like that. But it's an early 3D game. I don't know if there's like a Twitch streamer or a popular YouTuber who's like hyped up Gex or something like that. But Well, Scott the Waz talks about it all the time. Well, That's, that's how I heard about it's it. It's probably like his love for Boston Market, like my love for Boston Market. Like, yeah, it's cool, but like... We can also agree that it's not great. Like, you know, it's all right. It gets the job done. But no, I'm I'm not like Gex being the big announcement for me was like, oh, you know, I kind of I kind of treat LRG like I treat Arcade One Up nowadays, where it's a company that I used to love that used to have a lot of heavy hitters. But it seems like they're kind of fizzling out. You know, I don't know. I'm sure their books look a lot better than Arcade 1-Up does, so you would think that they would be able to get more creative. But I don't know. Just, like, during this presentation, like, Toomba's cool. Like, all right. The Clock Tower on Super Nintendo, I don't know why we're all acting like this is a great game. Like, it's cool. I don't even know what that is. I've never heard about that. That's a game that will have my interest once we actually have a release date for it. But we just got the announcement that it's happening this is a game that is near 30 years old. It is a point-and-click adventure horror game. Definitely niche. And, you know, it's great. It's finally being localized for an English release. But it's just one of those trailers, again, that I wanted a little bit more information on it. I wanted an actual release date. I want to know more about the enhancements that they are giving the game. Because the trailer they had was just really the developers talking about their excitement to finally have it localized and bringing it to a wider audience. It wasn't enough to get those unfamiliar with the franchise to be excited for it. Like, as Josie just said, she doesn't even know what Clock Tower is. And that's not any fault of hers. Yeah, because, I mean, the, th- the thing of it is, is, like, 
you, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, Clock Tower. I remember hearing people talk about that game and stuff like that. But, like, you know, it, it it's not Resident Evil, right? And some people are going to like the point-and-click stuff. But I feel like a lot of gamers kind of won't. And I feel like my, my, my real thing with the Clock Tower thing is if you've wanted to play this game, there have been unofficial translation patches available for years. You know, if, if you're like a diehard horror fan, that, that's how I've played it previously. And I mean, it's cool for what it is, but it's not like, I don't know, I guess it's unique because this is the first time it's been officially localized. But for me, this isn't a game that I necessarily want to revisit. I'm sure some people will want to. I'm sure there'll be the whole FOMO aspect and I'm I'm not trying to talk for those people I can only talk for myself you know what I'm saying but I did hear off the record that there were supposed to be some more, oh wait wait Jurassic Park I'm excited for Jurassic Park because they said that they are releasing merchandise alongside of this re-release you sons of bitches release re-release the dino damage dinosaurs the tyrannosaurus <laughs> rex i used to take the little dino damage piece and chew on it like it was a steak when i was a little kid but like they it's so hard to find those in like good condition nowadays without paying exorbitant prices on ebay but i mean i thought the show itself was fine it just you know it was kind of like okay you know if these games resonate with you cool if they don't you know you're not going to they didn't really do a good job of convincing you of how great these games are. I feel like the limited run branch has gotten so big and so wide now. I mean, their games are at Best Buy, for God's sakes. But I still feel like their mentality is that of a niche collector market because they don't really explain the games to you outside of stuff that you already you know already knew about like the newer releases yeah, yeah. And, and we also forgot the shante game i was gonna the, say yeah it's finally being a completed version of a scrapped gba game and like that's a cool release but right now it's only coming to the game boy advance as far as they have officially given us information on and that's an odd release in 2023 and i get you know you have the analog pocket there's a lot of means to be able to play Game Boy Advance games on unofficial hardware, but you're really catering to that collector there. You're not catering to people who are going to play the game by re-releasing a Game Boy Advance game in this day and age. And collectors will buy a lot of these games. I mean, LRG put out Three Stooges and Bill and Ted, two of the worst games of their era. <laughs> and the people buying them are strictly collectors. No one bought Three Stooges to play the Three Stooges game. Josie might have. Josie? Did you get I was that? a big fan. You're a big fan <laughs> no. of Three Stooges. But no, like like for you, like you said, you don't you didn't know what some of these games were to yeah, begin like, with. They didn't yeah, and then when I was watching the presentation, it was like I it was so I felt I felt like it was so specific to a specific audience that like people my age are just not gonna be into them at all until like they start re releasing like I don't know, like GameCube like you know more modern games i just don't because they're all so niche already and it's niche and old and i feel like that doesn't work super well together for a mass market no i mean you're right and it's just you know that comes down to their marketing team and you know i feel like like i've met josh before and doug when he worked there and they were very nice people but i do feel like they could use some people around them that could be like hey you know what this might be a good idea instead of doing something like this instead of the other. I don't know if they have that now, 
but at the time when they were smaller, like it was really a, a grassroots organization. Like I went to their um, offices and it was just like in an office building and like they just had stuff all over the place and like a million ideas. And it was it was very fresh then. But I don't know, like it's it's fine for what it is. I get the the whole physical mentality, but, you know, they've also gone back on their whole mantra which used to be and i'm not trying to bash them or anything like that calm down fammy boards um but like you know their mantra of when we do a physical release it's when it's after all the dlc has come available for the game which clearly isn't true because shredder's revenge has been out for a while and that game is getting dlc and i don't expect that dlc to be on the cartridge for my physical collector's edition that still hasn't shipped because I'm probably waiting on the toy or, or a map or something like that. So, you know, it, it is what it is. It's cool, but yeah, I don't know. It's cool when they do those modern games, though. Like, Shredder's Revenge was cool. I didn't even realize that was a limited run. I got that game at Best Buy, actually, just like, and that was super awesome. So if if they kept doing stuff like that or maybe more of that kind of stuff was in this presentation, I think it could have captured a little bit wider of an audience we'll see. see yeah that's my thing with lrg right now is that when they started they were getting those quality indie games that people really had a thirst and a hunger for to buy physically now it feels as though because they have expanded so much they're throwing a lot of just anything that they can print and hoping sales follow and when you look at microsoft a company who really doesn't care that much about retail anymore that seems like a prime target that LRG should be poaching from. You have Pentiment, Hi-Fi Rush, games that people would gladly buy a physical copy of if it were offered, and Microsoft isn't doing it themselves. So it feels as though that's the type of release LRG should be coming in for and saying, you want Hi-Fi Rush physical? We have it for you. Don't go there and get just an obscure game just to say we have the obscure game. And to like Sean's point with Shredders, they still haven't shipped some of these copies if you bought like the high-end collector's edition. The game's been out now for a year. That's just, they have to work on that type of stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of hurt a little bit of their reputation to the point where people are saying, I'm not going to support them. I'm not giving you a tax-free loan for you to eventually ship out a game two years from now because you gave me a two-month window to make a pre-order. Now, the thing with Microsoft from what I have been told, I believe I believe I'm correct on this. I'm sure someone in the comments will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Microsoft is very strict and it's very hard cuz that's why they haven't been doing Xbox games. When I went to visit them, I at the time that they were only doing PlayStation 4 stuff. They hadn't even started doing Switch stuff or anything like that. And I asked them like why that was. And from what they told me, like Nintendo, they were trying to work with Nintendo, but like Microsoft was just like, you have to have so many physical copies printed and it just wasn't worth it. Like they, their, their quantity levels were so high. Right. And yeah. so I feel like that could be, you know, an issue as to why, because I let's be real here. Although, you know, a, a lot of these games are games that I think people would want, you know, like uh, Hi-Fi Rush. Definitely not Pentiment, but Hi-Fi Rush. The problem <laughs> is they're Game Pass games, and we've seen it time and time again when it comes to physical sales. A lot of Xbox gamers just, they don't care. They don't buy the games physically. Why would you? They're on Game Pass. I don't buy, I don't really buy anything physically on Xbox. 
because it's on Game Pass. It's my Game Pass machine. So, you know, I feel like it's a bit of a catch-22. Yeah, and you're right yeah. on that. And to your point, they every manufacturer does have that X amount of copies that they have to print as a minimum. And I think the Xbox number is higher than what Nintendo and Sony right. regulate. So it's definitely probably a matter of, as just like a random number, this isn't going to be the accurate number. Let's say Microsoft's minimum run is 10,000. Now as LRG, it's, can we sell 10,000 copies of this game? Right. Because if we only get 500 pre-orders, we're stuck with 90, you know, we're stuck with thousands of copies now and we don't know what to do with them. So, yeah, I guess we've talked about poor LRG too much. Well, um, did LRG release the Cadence of Hyrule game? Because that came physical or was that like Nintendo? Um, That's a good question. I don't think that that wasn't LRG. Um, okay. Because that was like a physical, I guess, Switch exclusive, but indie owned game. So, that but yeah. Was... Yeah, I, that... I'm not sure. Was that just who, Nintendo? Who published this? Um, Brace Yourself Games. Were they the developer? Yeah, I think that was the indie studio. Okay. I don't. Oh, yeah, I don't know who published this. Can I? Get if to... they want to start oh. publishing Switch exclusive like games, oh, no, it, was, that are... it was Nintendo, according to it was okay. Stop. So yeah, I mean it's it's fine for what it is, but I mean if you're not interested in the library of games, like you're not going to be super stoked on it. And if you don't know what the library of games is because you're a child like Josie, then you'll just be left out in the cold. Um, a child on roids. A child on roids. Got to start him young. <laughs> like uh, little, little Hercules, Richard Sandrak. You should look him up. That's a, he was like a, a child. Yeah, that guy's, um, yep, I've seen him. Well, how do you know? How do you know Richard Sandrak? <laughs> I don't know. He was like all over. Wait, I don't know if that, but there was a little nah, kid dude, this on like TikTok. A, this was like a kid when I was a kid. Oh, well, then there's a new little Hercules. He's a beast. Um, He's all over TikTok. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't TikTok. Activision Blizzard, evidently, every single game that they ever make from now to the dawn of time has to come <laughs> to Nintendo. Every Bethesda game, every Xbox game. You're going to get Halo. You're going to get Gears of War on Nintendo, according to these court documents, because people game can't. Pass. Ga game Pass is coming finally. Rare Replay. <laughs> They're going to make exclusive games for Nintendo. No. Um, all the Activision, Microsoft crap is pretty much set in stone. Uh, Sony agreed to the 10-year term for Call of Duty, and of course, there was some fallout with that. Um, obviously, there is some Nintendo-related things, because now Nintendo owners will also be a part of that 10-year Call of Duty contingency plan, but somewhere along the way, the the uh, information got misconstrued, because I saw some wild videos and wild takes on this, that everything has to come, and it's like, no, it's going to be business as usual, but just for shits and giggles. Um, what is one game that if you could have that franchise from either Activision, X, well, I guess it's all Xbox, but let's just say from Activision, Blizzard, or Bethesda, what is one game that you would like to see come to a Nintendo platform and why? We'll start out with Josie. Oh, God. Uh... I'd be cool if we got Starfield, I guess. We're going Pipe Dream? Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, 
No Guitar yeah. Hero. I, I figured you would have said Guitar Hero. That's true. I am big on Guitar Hero. I guess we could... I wasn't... Sometimes I forget that that is an Activision thing, so... I changed my answer. Thanks, RGT. Yeah, no no problem. I try, try to set you up there. Nice softball. Say he's got to... It gotta, just said absolutely slipped my mind. The gotta, Roy's are really affecting my mental health. We'll switch from softball to T-ball next time. Nate, <laughs> what game are you looking... What, what game would you like to say? Yeah, for franchise. That is really tough to answer. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're just going, you know, pie in the sky... From Activision, see, I don't play that many Activision games to begin with. Well, they don't so, really make that many games now well, that's, like they used to. Like, right? That's, that's kind of a bit of a misconception that people have. Like, they're yeah. not the Activision from from the GameCube, PS2 era or anything like that. Like, exactly. Production has definitely slowed down with a lot of these titles. They used to make Skylanders, right? They made a million different things. They made movie properties. They were making Tony Hawks. They were making Spyros. They were making just everything. And then bring it all back. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be the case though. They did <laughs> they did uh the Spider-Man games, the Incredible Hulk. Like they were all over the place. And then, you know, like a lot of these companies that definitely slowed down production. Yeah, when you look at Activision's kind of their rollout dating back to 2020, all of four releases are Call of Duty games. And the four releases releases are like Sekiro on Stadia, Crash Bandicoot 4, and the recent Crash Team Rumble game. It's not that, and I think it was Tony Hawk. So not a very diverse lineup there. So I guess if I had to go pie in the sky, hope they resurrect Starcraft Ghost from the GameCube and they bring that to modern platforms or the Nintendo Switch successor. And you know what's funny about those four titles you mentioned? Two of them came to the Nintendo Switch with Crash <laughs> 4 and uh, Tony Hawk. Um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, out of those three companies, um. I'd like to see a, a cleaned up true true crime compilation. Can't talk true crime compilation on on the Switch, just because I think those games would be fun to play um, portably. Obviously, well, if they clean it up, they'd probably try to censor it too, because some of that stuff that you do in both of those games um, wouldn't fly, quote unquote, today. With you know, you'd have articles about poly from Polygon and Kotaku, like oh my god, but. You know, the, you know, all publicity is good publicity at the end. But I would like to see those games. They're, you know, they were fun for what it was. I wanted to love True Crime Streets in New York way more because it was New York, and I thought that was a really cool concept. But that game was just very ugly. It was very ugly on the eyes, and like it had frame rate issues and stuff like that. The original True Crime was kind of a weird game when you think about it, because like the latter half of the game was like things just went completely off the rails. Like I went from a GTA clone to like. A bunch of weird stuff so but yeah I, I would like to see that but i mean i you know i this to me besides call of duty all this means is business as usual yeah i mean they've already been putting a lot on the switch like like we said with tony hawk and all the crash like they have the racing game they have crash 4 they have the whole insane trilogy um and i think they even have like the spyro trilogy spyro oh i wait i could actually have done that uh <laughs> Yeah, we yeah, have the soundboard. Yeah, they have they do have 
you know, those those also came out. But it's not like they're making like new stuff. Like I, I don't know. It's it's very it's very weird does to this, me. Does this mean that Rare is gonna start putting stuff on Switch? Because that'd be kind of cool. New Battle Toads. I mean, well, they already are. What do you think? You got Banjo Kazooie on uh, NSO, but on NSO. You've got um, uh, Goldeneye. Yeah, all NSO though. You think yeah. like we'll get anything substantial, like a new game? What, what rare games? What games does Rare make? They made Sea of Thieves. Like you Battle want Toads. The that bad one. That no, fuck that game. That game sucked. That was not as bad as the originals. Ooh, just kidding. No, you know what? I think you're honest. I I don't think the I don't think Battletoads is that great. Honestly, I really don't. I didn't think it was I've that. Tried great. to play them. Like gra- from a graphical standpoint, like sure, it it was definitely an attractive looking NES game, but it's very nostalgic based. I I feel like for a lot of people. Yeah, and it's like those games that like are longer because they're so difficult. It's not. Yeah, like you know, have a lot of substance. There's a lot of grown men right now who still haven't finished the game. Like it's it's crazy. Nate, are we talking? Are we talking Kakaduki here, or are you on board with us? I'm bored with what rare bringing games to Switch or no, uh, Battletoads? No, and Battle Conquer. Battletoads being overrated. <laughs> I think Battletoads just got that reputation as being a meme online, and that is what elevated it so far to where people kind of praise the game for being something that it's not like it's a fine beat-em-up but it's not the you know it's not elite tier of the genre there's a lot of better games than battletoads and if you really revisit it it's it's fine for what it is but i also hated the new one that they put out on the xbox one that game that game's garbage it, it that really, was the first game i played on my xbox one it really was not a good game Who, whoever greenlit that like that was that uh, that was not a good decision hopefully i don't want people to lose their jobs but hopefully that person <laughs> lost their job um i guess we're gonna wrap <laughs> things up here with a bit of a hypothetical situation um sega good old good old sega um has made some interesting comments recently about wanting to not only revisit more Sonic the Hedgehog games, because it's just that time of the year, but it's also that time of the year to talk about mini consoles and the mini Sega Saturn and a mini Dreamcast, because it sounds like they want to do this. They just, A, don't know how to do it, and two, they're probably afraid that these things aren't going to sell. So I propose that the answer to this would just be, through something like emulation bringing dreamcast over to nintendo switch online you could bring it to anything you want you could do you could do a dreamcast collection of stuff it doesn't necessarily have to be a a mini pc because we've seen this before now children fans of josie you might not remember this (laughs) but on the xbox 360 there was a million dreamcast games on there there was a dreamcast collection youtube.com slash dreamcast guy there was even sega saturday they did nights they did an hd version of nights it's still available on Steam. i once stumbled into horse twitter he stumbled right into it it just it behooves me and this is something i've talked about before with my problems with sega this is one of the things they have all these games yet they're just like you know what 
we only have Sonic the Hedgehog. Everything else, we, we just, you know, like, what are you doing? What, what, how are we feeling about this? I think, yeah. Well, if they're if they look at the route of a mini console, usually companies will at least Nintendo they made the mini consoles except for the uh, N sixty four, and then they put that library on the Switch. So I could sort of see them doing both, even with like the Genesis Mini, and then they put that library on the Switch. So if they want to do something similar like that and not take as much of a risk, maybe print fewer and just bank on the fact of putting these games on the NSO service, I think that'd be great. I think a collection could probably work, but by putting it on NSO, I think that'll probably reach or reach a much wider audience. Just because people like me, I'm probably not going to buy a Dreamcast collection. But if it's with all the other games that I already have on the Switch with the NSO expansion, I'll, I'll definitely try more of them out. Nate, what do you think about this? It's definitely an interesting topic of discussion because if you're Sega you know you're sitting on a gold mine of classic games from the Dreamcast era. You know fans are desperate to revisit those games, and you've given them a small sampling of what you could do with them. As you mentioned, back on the Xbox 360, we had the Dreamcast collection. They then HD'd Sonic Adventure 1 and 2. They did Shenmue 1 and 2. And they also did Jet Set Radio. So a lot of those games have entered the modern era of gaming to a certain degree and when you factor in something like nso it seems as though that would be a wise path for them to consider we already have sega genesis on the service and a few years ago there was discussions and reports that they were trying to get a the dreamcast engine running on the switch so a lot of people thought hey is this going to lead to dreamcast ports is this going to lead to an nso inclusion but if you're Sega, you also have to look at the value of these games. Would Nintendo come with a big enough bag to put Dreamcast on it that Sega would find it enticing? Or is Sega going to look at the games and say, we can sell Sonic Adventure 1 with a slightly better emulation, make them just digital releases on all platforms, and charge $9.99, maybe $15 or $20 for each release, and how big is the audience going to be for each of these games? And, you know, there's a lot of people within our circle that we know they would buy the games day one because we have fond memories of them. And it would just come down to how well is the emulation of the game? Because if you look at Sonic Adventure 1, every single time they ported that game from the Dreamcast, somehow they made the game worse. They brought it to the GameCube. And that was a fine version. But the HD version, it just wasn't a good translation of the game a lot of things felt off the camera some of the visual effects were off so you really have to go back to what made the dreamcast version great and emulate that perfectly and we can even look at shenmue one and two. Oh my god it was it wasn't great quality and there i believe there's a digital foundry video out there where they show a shenmue one port that has greater textures than what we ended up getting and it's because Sega decided to cancel that project. So if Sega could actually invest money into bringing Dreamcast games to the modern platform, I think I would favor that route over going something like NSO. But if they want to cheap out and they want to just get a bag from Nintendo and we can get 12, 15, 24 games from the Dreamcast era on a platform, 
I would certainly take that over, you know, shoddy efforts or just no effort whatsoever. And I really don't think Sega has it in them to make a mini console for the Dreamcast because how do you, how are you going to emulate the VMU? Are you going to give us that with the controllers? Or are we looking at a $300 mini console at that point? No, I mean, the thing about VMUs is you could literally buy a brand new VMU today for $10 all day, every day. V- VMU technology isn't isn't that expensive. And True. really, the VMU doesn't necessarily need to be completely functioning. I think if you just have something built into the controller that simulates what would be on the VMU screen instead of using it for save files like it wasn't uh, initially used for and then the other stuff was just kind of secondary like i think that would be fine you know it's not like you're going to take out your vmu and like i know there was a couple games where you had could play mini games on it like just just get rid of those like who cares yeah i think what was it sonic adventure had the chow garden right and then you had like code veronica it had the health bar that would change as you got damaged and right. uh, Skies of Arcadia had what was like the crystal radar or something. When- yeah, and I mean you could simulate those sort of things within within that if you have something that's that acts like the VMU sort of thing. Um, Josie, well, what are you thinking? I have a question: is the Dream is the Dreamcast the same generation as the GameCube? Uh, it came. Yeah, t- I'm mean, technically. It came well, yeah, I guess it would be because it came out in uh yeah, it was the successor yep. to the Saturn, the GameCube was the successor to the N sixty four. It just came out a lot earlier. Okay. But surprisingly, so- out of that generation, I will die on this hill that a vast majority of games that came out for the Dreamcast and GameCube look way better upscaled than the games that came out for the PlayStation and even in some cases the Xbox, but Okay. So I didn't know how big those were. I was assuming it was the N64 generation. So they might, those games might be even too big to put on NSO. Like that might be too much value, right? Because they're, are they, they had pretty meaty games, I would assume. Um, are you talking about? Uh, I mean, they were on CD. Yeah, they're on CD. Um, your average, your game was up to 700 megabytes. Um, you had multiple. That's quite a bit games. more than the N64, though. Yeah. Yeah, but in the same breath, like you're not gonna you know 700 megabytes so what if you have a four disc game you know maybe it's it's four gigs like okay like okay you you know what i'm saying but that is that is something interesting to think about but then again you also have compression of these games as well if you're going down a route of a a re-release instead of just a standard emulator i I don't really know how you know how they would do it the carbon engine it's time (laughs) to bother mvg take him away from his lrg stuff and be like hey buddy we need some dreamcast and we need some sega saturn yeah so like because those are just like like i'm thinking in terms of like nintendo probably wouldn't put a gamecube virtual console or gamecube service thing on the nso right now because they can sell those games individually like do you think that Sega would have that in mind that maybe they could no. no no because because the Dreamcast while a great system with a great library of games it, it it was only available for like 2 years on the marketplace in the United States so okay. it didn't sell dick and then like Sega Saturn sold well in Japan but it didn't sell dick this side of the the uh, ocean so i don't i don't okay. think it's really an issue of Sega over protecting their IP like you see a lot with the Nintendo 
right. I think it's a it's an issue of Sega being hard headed because, like I said, some of these games have released Crazy Taxi. Um, you had ar- the arcade version of Virtua Fighter Two. You had um, Fighting Vipers. You had Daytona USA arcade versions, all on the 360. You had a physical collection of them as well that includes Sega Bass Fishing, Sonic Adventure, all on the 360. They just they just don't care, and it makes yeah. no sense to me. How, how do you never re-release Virtual Fighter 3 TB? How do you never like look looking at the Dreamcast library of first party games? There's a ton of stuff on there, a ton of stuff. Virtual On, which also came out on the 360. Um, uh, zombie uh, Hunter, which or Zombie Revenge, which a lot of people don't like, but I think it's it's fine for what it is. It, it was just a it's a very weird thing. Think of how much love. The, think of, okay, Josie, I want you to think of this. Think of how much love the Sega Genesis has gotten since you've been out of the womb. We'll say right. Um, you've seen two Sega Genesis minis. You've seen a Sega Genesis compilation for your Nintendo Switch, and you have Sega Genesis Online. Yeah. That's that's the only thing they seem to care about. Interesting. Okay. So like if it were to be really re-released, it's it'd definitely be some sort of compilation type deal. Who's to say? You know, in, in a perfect world, not only would I get a mini console, but I'd always, I'd I'd also can't even talk. I'd also get these on current platforms. You know, I, I, I would right. do if if, I, if I'm running Sega. Because here, here's the problem with Sega licensing, because while they don't value these IPs in terms of re-releasing them, they value the IP if somebody else wants it. So it would have to be done within Sega because I would give Arcade One up whatever they wanted, because you could do stuff with House of the Dead. You could do stuff with Daytona USA, virtual racing. But you see. I can counter that when you say they value it if someone else wants it. They gave Forever Entertainment House of the Dead and Panzer Dragoon. Trust me when I say this. They want stupid, stupid amounts of money from Arcade 1-Up for certain titles. Because you got to remember, Arcade 1-Up did um, Golden Axe Revenge of Death Adder. And they did Outrun for Sega. And so we all thought that that was going to be the next big thing. Okay, here comes Daytona. Here comes House of the Dead. This is going to be freaking awesome. But from what I've been told behind the scenes, they're asking obscene amounts of money to license mm-hmm. it. And to the point of where Arcade 1-Up is like, well, if we give you this money, we're not going to we're not even going to make our money back. Never mind. Make a profit on it. So no, thank you. We're not going to do that. And that's the problem with Sega. I, I don't understand why that is because if I'm Sega, I'm whoring this stuff out. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not doing anything with it. You want to do something with it? Okay, pay, pay me this amount of money. Give me a little bit of money. That's just that's it's easy money. That's the best. So, Daytona would be so cool. So you'd want to see basically Sega operate as we're seeing Konami currently operate. Yes. Get pitches from external developers, and if they can make a good pitch, you're more than willing to license out that IP. To those partners where they can either port or make new entries and then they can bring it to the market because as you said sega is sitting on a lot of unused ip crazy taxi skies of arcadia and nothing's happening with them and they refuse to re-release these old games in the franchise for seemingly no reason other than i don't even want to say stubbornness because i think it's just pure 
ignorance and maybe a little bit of arrogance. I think the perfect thing to not only end this discussion, but to wrap up this episode is to bring it all back to Nintendo. One of the coolest things about the Nintendo Switch for the first few years was the Sega Ages collection. You had the port house known as M2, which is legendary, handling all of these classic Sega games, sharpening them up for the modern platform, including new quality of life improvements, and even including some new things into these games whatsoever. The last game that they got, so they started out with with the 80s games, then of course they did a little bit of Sonic, but the last game that they, they came out with was Virtual Racing, which is the best version of virtual racing, bar none, bar none, point blank, period. This game offered you eight-person multiplayer, locally or online, on one Switch. You could prop up your little stupid kickstand, pending you haven't broken it, and have eight-person multiplayer on the one six-point-whatever-inch screen that the Switch has. And what did Sega do after Virtual Racing? They decided, hey, we're done with the Sega Ages collection. You sons <laughs> of bitches. It, we were right there. We were right on the cusp of getting to the end of the Genesis life cycle, into the Sega Saturn, into the Model 2 games. It, it, Model 1 games. You didn't even do a bunch of Model 1 games. But no. No. You stopped. You said, okay, we got Virtual Racing. We got into the polygonal stuff. Oh, you wanted Virtual Fighter? Oh, you wanted Daytona? Oh, you wanted this, that? No. No, 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 no. <sighs> my 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 beef with Sega will never end. I love them to death, but... They're, they're... Streets of Rage 4 was pretty good, though. They, they didn't make that. Dot Emu made that. You know, oh, you that's know, so awkward. They, 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 they licensed it out. That's what they got to do. Just like they did with Forever Entertainment. But then certain companies... It, it makes no sense. Anyways... This has been a very interesting game and talk episode. We kind of we kind of even expanded beyond just the Nintendo stuff, but I felt like we kept it mostly Nintendo. But hey, I believe all of our listeners are probably multi-platform owners to begin with. Thank you guys for tuning in to the third episode of Game and Talk. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. If you are a Patreon member in the select tier for the Q&A stuff, we're going to be recording your questions now. If you have any questions about that, be sure to look at the Patreon and check out where you stand with your pledge. And if you want to pledge a little more, you get a little more because we're good people. Um, I'm RGT85, Josie Woe. Say goodbye to the people. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. It was a good time. And Nate the Hate. Yes, thank you for joining us for episode three and for your support on Patreon. And we do have some higher tiers where we have different producer levels where if you donate $25 a month, we will give you an on-screen credit where your name will appear on screen and we will thank you for your donation. So definitely give a look at those Patreon tiers and thank you for the continued support. We'll see you guys next time.